Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting you with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Press. We give a sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we'll be pulling back the curtain on the death penalty in the United States and much more. Press was popping, baby. Good, man. Listeners, happy new year. How was that new year's, man? Man, I ain't do nothing. I uh, made some seafood gumbo, watched some Netflix, popped a couple bottles. Oh, man, that sounds good there. What's all in the seafood gumbo? Oh, man, I can't tell you all the... the, the, the <laughs> it's, it's a secret recipe, but I'll tell you, man, it has, some, okay. it has some crab legs in that joint, some jumbo shrimp, man, uh, some lobster tail. You, you know, a little bit of everything. Mm, mm. You know, oh, I just yeah. want to get our, our, our listeners just to, you know, just a little sample, with the, you know, if they can put it in their mind, that, that gumbo, man. That oh, sounds yeah. good, especially on a cold day like this. It was perfect, man. It was chill, man. I, I didn't really do much, though, man. Uh, like I said, man, I wanted to uh, use the holidays, uh, Jules, to kind of reflect on 2020, man. I know a lot of times we talk about how tough of a year it is, but I think there's also some things that I was thankful for over the course of 2020. And so I wanted to have that time just to kind of be mindful of some of the things that I'm fortunate for, as well as reflecting on some things that I hope to improve upon in 2021. I agree with you there, man, because that 2020 was rough, boy. You look back and reflect, and it's like, hey, you know what? We made it. Thank God. He was with us and stuff like that. And 2021, like I said, we're going to come out smoking, and and, and, and it's going to be a going to be a better year. Yes, sir. But the one thing that I tell people is just because the calendar changed, 
That only means that things are going to magically change for you. So a lot of people are going to have to look in the mirror and, and mm-hmm. self-reflect and figure mm-hmm. out what it is about 2020 that they feel like, man, they could have probably done better and then put some of that stuff into work, man, because just because the calendar changed don't mean things are going to change for us automatically, you know? And so that's one of the things that I kind of challenged myself on going into this year. So I'm, I'm sure you probably feel the same way on that. You know, we can't just think oh, that yeah. solutions are going to come our way just because the calendar changed. No, because you know what? It'll just drag on to the next year and the next year and the next year. And if you want things to change, you got to change. You want things to get better, you got to get better. So that's one of the things like you got to say, like, like you say, you got to self-reflect, look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, what do I need to get better and, and, and be in a different and a better position? And it starts with starts with that, that inner person. So. Yeah. And then one thing, too, uh, just not to get too far into this, but I agree with that Mm -hmm. because what I see is a lot of it, a lot of people were suffering, suffering uh, emotionally with a lot of stuff that was going on in 2020. Right. And so some of those things, you know, those are situations that you're going to have to figure out, man, what is it that'll help you for me, Jules? I wrote down like some things that I thought that I could have done differently over the course of the year to kind of overcome some of the, the tough aspects of 2020. And so I want to just okay. make sure that 2021, man, I'm just coming into this year with no excuses. And it doesn't matter what external situations happen outside of my home. I need to be ready for whatever may, you know, kind of come my way. And I want to do a better job of, of kind of answering the bell, if you will. I hear you. And, but I, and I know too, that there's a lot of people that are hurting out here. And one of the things that we talked about in the last episode, Jules, was we talked about that COVID relief bill that the president was kind of holding up. It seemed like he had some political agendas on his end of why he was holding it up, but he ultimately went ahead and signed off on that. And so apparently checks are on the way for the American people. Oh yeah. You know what? I I, I got mine. You get Joe's? <laughs> Bro, I don't get those checks, man, but I'm happy for oh, everybody damn. that, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, being in sales, bro. We yeah, don't get those checks. But that's why oh. I still be pushing on these episodes, man, because I still appreciate the fact that there's people out there that's gonna be able to get those resources because it's a lot of people making use that money. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because yeah, with Trump, about time, like you say, uh, I was watching news and one lady said the six hundred bucks is not a lot, but it's something. I know he's like he's trying to push for that two thousand, but I knew that I knew we said that on the last pass, the last part that that wasn't going to happen. So with the six hundred coming out, twelve hundred for a family and stuff, and then also if you have kids or whatever, get extra. But uh, I'm glad he signed it. It shouldn't took this long, but you know he got something for the people to kind of can use and stuff until you know things get better or change and stuff like that. Absolutely, but you know what? The one thing that I'm going to say, and it's probably going to be me nitpicking, but. The 600 bucks, man, is half of what people got the first go around. Because I thought the first go around, people right. got 1200 bucks. Yeah, right. It was, it was, yeah, 1200. And then what, 22 for, uh, for a family or something like that. It was a little tight on this one. It was, yeah. It was a little tight. So, but, uh, you know, some of the uh, senators was talking about how, you know, what your future kids' kids will have to pay this thing back and stuff. And it's just not good to just give money stuff. There's so much stuff going on with that, man. I don't know. But I know people need help. And, this will help, but I know later down the road, if things continue the way it is, you're going to need to look out for another stimulus bill package. Yeah, because I think Trump even said that he only signed this bill uh, because he said that he got commitment from the Senate that they would consider uh, raising it to $2,000. Because I know in the House, it passed uh, for them to increase the, the payments. Mm-hmm. But, you, but your boy uh, Mitch McConnell, he he kind of like dropped the, the bomb on him and was like, no, nah, <laughs> it ain't happening. No. <laughs> no, Mitch, yeah, yeah. Mitch was the ones like, nah, it was he said he said it wasn't smart and struck that down. 
Hey, I'll tell you what. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> man. Man, I would too, shit. You you know, because at the end of the day, man, I would say even, even though, you know, they may determine certain income levels, you know, don't, you know, need this and that. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, we all are in situations right now where we're all affected by this, uh, by this COVID and by this pandemic. So my thing mm-hmm. is, I think all Americans should have received something. But at the end of the day, I'm thankful for the people that were able to receive something. I've been looking on social media and everybody been talking about they got the little direct deposit hit yesterday right. or the day before. So, right. no, man, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not a hater, man. I just want people out here to be able to pay their bills. And hopefully, man, like with this money, some people may be able to get caught up on some stuff or maybe they had um they put some Christmas presents for their kids on the credit card. You know, maybe they can pay off the credit card bill with the stimulus check. So the thing about it is, man, this is going to help a lot of people people in many different ways. Man, they're going to buy a PS5 with that money. Well, I try, I, try, I try to look on the bright side of things. I'm sure they already got that PlayStation 5. I got mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a minute. You got, a, you got a PS5, dude? Oh, yeah, man. Heck man, yeah. those things are hard to get, man. I, I need to talk to you. Man, dude, you got no people, bro. <laughs> man. Oh, that's yeah. what, hey, after the show, after the show, I'm gonna hit you up, man. And see yeah, what, man. you know, if you can put me on with your peoples and your, you know what I'm saying? So I can get that done. There you go, man. There you go. Cause yeah, man, to be honest with you, bro, it was funny on Christmas, man, like seeing on uh social media all the people that were unwrapping gifts and they thought they were gonna PlayStation 5 and they was just like not PlayStation 5. I was like, damn, I felt bad. But then I was Ooh. like, yeah, let me go ahead and set this up real quick, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> man, hey, I'm going to slide through, man. Hey, hey, I'm going to definitely slide through, man. Get some get some games in. There you go. There you go. Uh, but the only other thing, too, uh, with McConnell, uh, Jules, I'm not sure if you caught that, mm. was uh, he also was trying to slide in a few of Trump's demands with why he opposed the, the increased payments. They wanted to repeal uh, Section 230. And then they also wanted to establish a commission to study voter fraud. So these are some things that Trump wanted to basically kind of get into the mix a little bit. And so I think McConnell is also trying to use this as a way to maneuver uh, politically. But do we even need that, though? Man, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Did they need to uh, upgrade that furniture in in the house, in the Congress? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, study voter fraud. I mean... Wait, it's been known that it wasn't voter fraud, but <sighs> but the thing about it is, that's what this guy wants. So that's that's why on the last episode, you and I was talking to the audience and was like, dude, Trump, he's full of shit, man. Because the thing about it is, <laughs> he don't care about the country getting this and that because it's tied in things that he's trying to, to accomplish on the side. He's like, yeah, I'll give them this money, but I need these two things done real quick. <laughs> right. It's always about, hey, it's always something, what, what I'm going to get out of the pot. So... Now, the, that legislature 230, maybe that's something we need to talk about because maybe, maybe, because that's that's all about what the social media platforms to keep them in check as far as what people can say or not say or something like that. Yeah, we'll definitely touch it to yeah. that one a little bit more because like that's something I, I have to like kind of peel back the layers on a little bit more right. before I speak on it. But okay. yeah, it does have a little bit to do with, uh, just loosely from what I understand about it, is online liability protections. Uh, so they want right. to repeal okay. that. They want to repeal it. So that'll be something good that we could definitely uh, talk about maybe on the next episode. Okay. Yep. Something that I definitely feel like we definitely need to touch on and we didn't talk about on the last episode because we kept things a little bit more happy with our Christmas episode, you know, good vibes there. 
And then we also last week discussed the uh, COVID, but we didn't discuss mm-hmm. the uh, the bombing that took place on Christmas morning in Nashville. And that was something for me that was, it was sad on a lot of different levels. But when I saw this, Jules, and I looked at the situation, I thought this bomber, to me, I don't think that he was trying to cause like any sort of mass chaos, bro. Because when he set this thing up, he set it up early in the morning, right? right. We know that in Nashville, that's a very crowded area. And especially in that downtown part of Nashville, if he really wanted to like cause like some chaos, he would have set that thing up under a different time frame. What, what was your thoughts there when you looked at this bombing situation? Weird. Mm-hmm. I said, hell, he could have did that. He could have did that. It's crib. Well, I mean, exactly. Because well, the, the girlfriend said that uh, she called the FBI last year and said this man was making bombs in his right. RV. They went to go check right. it out. And this man wasn't even on any of their most wanted list. Right. It was one of the ones who... Just one day decided, I I guess, hey, you know what? I want to make bombs or something. I, I have, when they was going through the press conference and they was talking about a motive, we do not have no idea because this brother here, like you said, he went downtown with the RV, played music, yep, parked his RV. When that music stopped, you know, he was telling people to get out the area. Yeah, he was warning them. He was warning people. Now, what, what bomber warned people? Right. So Dude, it didn't and- make sense then. Did you see that he was playing downtown? Yeah, he's playing downtown. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but I, that I, dude, he was on something, bro. Right. Right. Maybe he was on some uh, some good. He just, you know, so it gave people like the officers, salute to the officers because it gave them time to escort and evacuate the areas and stuff like that. And when that music stopped, that was it. And that's a good point, man, because those officers, dude, they uh, they helped a lot of people because they were able to keep more people from getting hurt because they were able to evacuate mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. A couple officers getting up, uh, sustained hurt. One officer in particular sustained some some ear loss, some um, hearing damage. Hopefully, you know, say he, he'll he'll get his hearing back, you know, through due to that blast. Mm-hmm. But man, press that was weird because I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, what what's the point? And I know everybody was focused on that AT and T store. I said, damn, yeah, maybe what he had a problem with AT&T. What, they cut his phone off or something? He was mad? I don't know. Well, so they still don't know a motive, but they said that this guy was involved in a lot of conspiracy theories. So the AT&T, it wasn't the store. It was their main hub for basically all the telecommunications in that area. And what what I hear, and I don't know if this is actually true or not, but they said that he um, had paranoia about 5G cell technology. So to me, I wonder if the fact that he set it up where he did was that intentional? You know what I mean? Because if he had okay. these conspiracy theories, like, is that part of it? Because he did knock mm-hmm. out the grid for a little while, though, when he when that blast right? Because that and that and it affected a couple other, I believe, a couple other states, right? I definitely think it did the state yeah. that was neighboring them. But yeah, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, the neighboring states and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the nexus. That's the nexus. Yep. He paranoid about the five G thing. Five G is going to take over and turn you to zombies or something like that. Maybe try to get rid of it. And, and this is the only way he he knew, you know, he thought he can do it. That that could be something. But I know but one I, thing, it didn't make sense. No. And but the, the, the fact that I had a problem with is the fact that he wasn't on any of any sort of law enforcement radar prior to this attack. No. I think that says a lot about law enforcement, because if they got a warning a year ago on this guy, he should have been on somebody's list. He should have mm-hmm. been on somebody's radar. To be honest, yeah. they showed up. And I don't know if he didn't answer the door. I, I can't remember what they said about that situation, but they said they went to look into it, but they said that they didn't talk to right. him or they didn't get to see him or something. Right, because he he's in his public property. Uh-huh. So if he didn't answer the door, he wasn't home, 
officers couldn't do nothing really. But my point is, he should have been on a list, bro. They put people on these lists mm-hmm. for, for nothing nowadays. You know, like mm-hmm. if, if you were in a phone conversation, you may post something on social media, it could be sideways. You on somebody's list, bro. Trust me. Right. Right. <laughs> when, somebody now, sit, when somebody calls in and says, hey, this man's building a bomb, I'm sorry. He needs to be on some government list. <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. Now, yeah. I did read that the that the officers did report it to the FBI, but I guess the FBI didn't find any, any, any findings on to, you know, put him on the list as a threat or something. I'm, I'm not sure where, where we dropped the ball at right there. So that's yeah, something was, they have to look into. It was definitely dropped because uh, the thing about it is yeah. this thing could have been prevented, bro, because, you know, my whole thing is when you hear something like uh, something like that, just think about that. That was his girl. And she was probably looking at him sideways like, what you doing, bro? No, oh, this ain't cool. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, like making bombs. Hey, I, hey, I would have le- hey, left his ass talking about yeah. making some bombs. Who are you talking mm-hmm. about blowing up? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but his neighbors, they said that he was kind of a hermit. He kind of stayed to himself and, you know, he didn't really, you know, bother people and stuff like that. And I'll tell you one thing, man. I've always said this going back to when we were in high school. And it's not even me joking, but the cats mm. like that, bro. I left them alone. I know a lot of people kind of mm-hmm. bully people and do all that kind of stuff. But if there was ever a situation to kick off, I just want those people to realize, man, Chris had no problem and no beef with you. We are good. I want you to look me in the right. eye in that situation and to say, you know what? I ain't got no beef with him moving on to somebody else. Because people yep. like you got no. a lot of people out here in this world, Jules, they're, they're hurt by things, you know, mental illness, whatever the case may be. I just don't want to be bullying people, man, that are not at their best, you know? No, I feel you. I'm the same way. I treat everybody with respect, no matter no matter what they what's going on with you and stuff like that. I speak. I have no problem with nobody because, right as you said, one day that person snapped. I want him to be like, you know what? No, no, Jews ain't never give me no problem. He's been nice to me and stuff like that. And I'm gonna leave him alone. And I'm like, hey, thanks, bro. I'm getting out of here. Yep, because, I'm get up out of your way. Yeah, let me move. Let me, let me move. <laughs> But if you see him carrying something, like, hey, man, you might not want to do that. I, hey, right. Well, let, let's talk about this real quick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to say, hey, man, let me, hey, like, can we talk about this? If you give me that look and point that thing at me, I'm say, hey, go ahead, man. I, hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You silly. But no, it's, but that's real talk, though, man. Because the thing about it is, you know, I've never been in one of those type of situations where I've had to kind of have one of those life or death type moments. But I just imagine uh, and my heart goes out to people that are affected. Like, so when I saw the news on this, this bombing, I said, man, on Christmas morning, man, when people were probably just waking up, you know, probably, you know, got those good vibes trying to go into the uh, the new year, you know, with a little holiday cheer. And then this shit happens. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm sure those people was like, damn, man, 2020, bro. Fuck. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Now, now you got now you got the Christmas. They labeled it the Christmas bombing, you know, and that's one of the things that uh, one of the I want to say it's probably his neighbor. His neighbor had talked to him and, and his neighbor asked a uh, Warner. I think that his name is that. Yep. Uh, was you getting anything for Christmas? And he, or he said, yeah, he said Nashville and the world is never going to forget me. That's something there. You know, there's a neighbor as a neighbor. You probably talking. You probably like, all right, what what that mean? He probably think, didn't think anything of it. Right. But now now he does because, you know, when he turned on that TV Christmas morning, he's like, man, that did. And then and it was him. Yeah. He, but you know what? Like you said, if your neighbor tell you something like that, Jules, you probably just be thinking like, mm-hmm. all right, well, cool, because he was in IT. So the neighbor probably thought like, oh, he must be working on something for one of his clients. So he's probably going to be doing something good at work or something. Right. You know, no, not knowing that this man was like, no, I'm about to be famous, son. For the yeah, wrong reason. For the wrong reason. Right. It's messed up that he did it because he took his own life. 
But also, I'm glad that, you know, no innocent uh, bystanders got killed. Uh, there was a couple of injuries. Like I said, some couple of officers got injured, stuff like that. But uh, with this, this could have been, way, this went way, way left. Well, eight people were injured in total. So in addition to the officers, I know okay. that there were some residents of those places that were mm-hmm. injured too. But I would say this, man, um, I don't, I don't want to see any individual being killed, but this is one of those situations where I'm glad and happy, and I want our audience to listen to my words closely. I'm glad and happy that it was somebody that basically took their own life and didn't take a bunch of lives with them. Right. You know, because we see mm-hmm. in these situations with these suicide bombs where other individuals are killed as well. And so for me, in this situation, it could have went a lot differently. So I still mm-hmm. don't know what the motive was, Jules. I don't think we probably ever figure out because I don't know. Did he leave a right. note or anything? I don't I don't know. No, he no, he didn't leave no nothing, nothing. But like I say, the only nexus is like you say, if he had thoughts about this this 5G and he parked himself right in front of the ATN Tower, maybe that's the only thing we have that we can go with. Yeah. It's just a really weird situation. But like I said, man, I'm just glad that he did it the way he did it. Like, as you say, he gave warnings that he's, he was telling people, mm-hmm. hey, this bomb's going to go off in three minutes. He was playing music. Like, he made a scene enough that basically people would be like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> like, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. How you, how you, right. How you play some downtown? You're like, okay, you downtown Nashville. You're like, okay, this, this dude over playing some music. You jamming and stuff. It's Christmas. And then he say, yeah, get out there. It's, it's, I'm, it's a bomb up here. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, you like, man, I was just bopping to the song. Right. I, I like that right. song. But I'm like, bro, why you play that one? Right. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Because now when I think of that song, now I'll be thinking about him. I'm yeah. Like, bro. Hey, Warner Boy, he's he he did something now. So so Christmas time and that and that song downtown. Yeah, man. Damn you, Warner. At the end of the day, man, like like you and I both said, man, it could have been a lot worse because if this thing would have happened in the middle of the, of the day in downtown mm. Nashville, can you imagine? Right, right, man, right. So to me, it just seemed like he wasn't really trying to create no mass chaos. My man just wanted to be famous. That's no. what I think. Right. He just want like say he just want to be remembered by. Guy that blew up downtown Nashville on Christmas Day. Yep, and he will. And you know what? And he, he will. And he will. Yep. He will. Think about that. That's the 2020 backdrop, and especially people in Nashville, they're gonna talk about that for years. Speaking of uh, of tragedy, um, I wanted to touch on a couple things that have come out of uh, the state of Ohio. Um, so we we have a couple of uh, police involved shootings, and I wanted to get Jules' thoughts on these. You know, as he is in law enforcement, but we had uh, Casey Goodson that was uh, shot and killed earlier in in December of 2020, mm-hmm. and then most recently we had uh, the shooting that took place. Uh, what was the the gentleman's name? Andre Hill. Andre Hill. Right. Yep. So we saw that was another shooting that took place uh, in in Ohio, and so when I looked at this, the first situation with Goodson. You know, it was very conflicting stories that were going out, right? We we heard that he was waving a gun and this and that, and but it ended up with him being shot in the back three times, you know, and his family said, you know, that a lot of the stories were, you know, kind of made up. But with this situation with Andre Hill, Jules, this one kind of, mm-hmm. it, it kind of, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And, and I don't like anybody that, that basically is being killed uh, in, in, in any situation out here in the streets. But this one kind of really, really rubbed me the wrong way. And this is why I'll tell you why it rubbed me the wrong way. And I'll get your thoughts on it. They said that he was sitting in his SUV for um, a, 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 a long time. And he was turning the car on and off or something along those lines. And mm-hmm. I took that shit a little um, personal because I do that. There's times where I listen to podcasts. I'm always listening to a podcast. And if it gets good, 
I don't want to interrupt it by getting out of my car and having to change back over to my headphones or whatever and walk out of the car. So sometimes I'll sit in the car for maybe five or 10 minutes and finish up my, my podcast episode. But anyway, that was the situation where people called the police on this man and said that he was sitting in his SUV. And then the police basically showed up and an officer, you know, shot him. And, you know, that's the story that we have out there right now. But I wanted to get your thoughts on these cases just because that's something that has happened in Columbus. And now I'm looking at this. Now it's multiple situations. Looking at this and reading on it and watching the videos and stuff like that, it first I would say uh, we get a lot of calls like that all the time. Suspicious person, auto, auto been running for a long time. Somebody sitting in it. It was one time. I, you know what I'm saying, responded to a scene like that. And the person was actually playing loud music and stuff like that, but he was actually, somebody actually shot him. Mm. So each situation and each, it's all different. And you must assess everything. So looking at this thing, and I'm like, okay, what happened? That's my whole thing. What happened? So like you said, Brad, he was sitting in his car. Now, some stories is that he was revving his engine, turning on off the car or something like that. Just I don't know if somebody was thinking something was wrong. Maybe he was drunk, you know, intoxicated or whatever the case may be. But the neighbor called. When the police got there, the neighbor pointed out to the car. The guy that was sitting, you know, Andre Hill. Okay, so they walked over there. And then and looking at this video, I'm like, okay, simple. He was with a female partner. Uh, so he had a partner with him and stuff. And he was walking, Andre was walking towards the officer with, the, with his cell phone in his hands. But you can see the cell phone. You couldn't see his other hand. But it was an alarming where he needed to be shot. So what happened? Of course, the body camera, Officer Corey turned it on after the shooting. If people don't know how them things work, they go back a minute. I think for ours, it's two minutes. So when you hit it, it'll record, but it won't be no audio. Mm-hmm. All you saw was him, Andre Hill, walking towards Officer and end up getting shot. I don't know what happened as far as why did he shoot? And this is, this is no, no rookie. Yeah. Officer Coy have 19 years on the job. But I will say this, Jules, I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw in the news on Coy, they they've unearthed some videos where he basically talked about the fact that he thought the unlawful force is something that God basically appointed him to be able to do. Okay. And so he's got some really interesting viewpoints. Because to your point, right? Mm-hmm. You brought up in this situation, mm-hmm. you don't understand why Mr. Hill was shot. I don't either, because mm-hmm. the man was sitting in this car. I just mentioned to the audience. People could call the police on me. They'd be like, hey, I see this guy in this white SUV. He's just sitting in the car, right? But at the same time, the only thing that I, when I think of these situations is, where were the de-escalation skills by this coy? Because you mentioned that he was on the force for 19 years. And you also mentioned your own expertise because you've been on the mm-hmm. field, field what, what, 15, yeah, 16 going, years? Yeah, on 16 years, yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you this question. In that situation, when you pull up on the scene like that, even if the person may have something on them. And I'm sure you've been a part of those situations. Mm -hmm. What is your thought process in that moment, Jules? So I'm officer court. I'm rolling up on that scene. Mm -hmm. On this scene particularly, yes. On this scene here in particular. I'm rolling up, brother sitting in his car in the garage or in the street, wherever. Me, I'm giving verbal commands. You know, and, hey, what, and what are those verbal commands? Yeah, it'll, it'll be like, hey, what's up, man? What's go- what you got going on? Let me see mm-hmm. your hands, you know. And I have a partner. So my partner, whatever side I can see, he or she can see because okay. we're tactfully approaching this person. Now, I'm already prepared just in case some, something went down. Let's say if I didn't have my gun out, I will always be prepared. So 
and especially in, in a situation or a scene like that where you can look at a person's body language, read a person's body language and say what's 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 going on. This person sitting in his car, he's sitting in his car, oh, he's up to no good. That body will let me know, okay, something's wrong. I would just give verbal command. Now, we don't know because his body camera wasn't on and there's no audio. So far as with me, I would give verbal command. I would say, let me see your hands. And then when he showed me his hands, I see his one hand because he's showing the, the, the cell phone. I okay. said, let me see your right hand. Let me see right. your hands. You got anything anything else? You got any weapons and stuff like that? No. And then after I establish that the scene is safe, okay, I can put my gun away or the case may be I, I, I can, you know, say I can I can calm down, you know, because there's no no potential threat. So, Jules, and that's a lot of information you gave there. And thank you for kind of walking through, because that's important for people to kind of understand from your viewpoint, kind of how you walk through that situation. So let me ask you when it comes to the body cam aspect. Mm-hmm. So the fact that these body cam was not on, you encounter those situations. You and your partner, is your body cam on? Like, what, what do you guys do when it comes to that? So it depends on it depends on the situation. Like, OK, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I forget to turn it on. Okay. I'm human. I'm I'm sorry. Sometimes something happens so fast, you jump out or or somebody come up, somebody approach the, the vehicle, and sometimes I just it happens. Okay. But then when I know when I realize it, I'll cut it on. Maybe okay. this happened. This maybe this happened in this case. I'm not sure. Well, so what what I saw because I I went through the police report on this one, and they said that um, none of the officers that were involved there had their cameras on until after Hill was shot. And then okay. they turned them on. So that's why I wondered in that situation, because I understand, man, because you got to think about it. In these situations, you know, you got adrenaline that's going. It's a situation mm-hmm. where some shit's jumping off. So my thing is, I don't know how that works because I'm not in law enforcement, but I didn't know like how the training goes, where how you guys are instructed to, to activate the body cam. According to the orders, we're supposed to turn them on for every every situation, for every scene we go on or every call that we go on, we're supposed to turn them on. Sometimes we, as police, you know, like I, well, hold on, let me, I'm just speaking for myself. Sometimes you, you, you get a situation like I've been, I've been on the, on the streets for 16 years and a lot of things, you, okay, I can say, I, I, I'll get a call and say, okay, that's nothing. And I don't really turn the thing on because I know, okay, I know how to handle this real quick. This is nothing to really, there's nothing really to see here. The only problem with that press in law enforcement, things can go from sugar to crap real quick. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yep. You can go to a situation a million times, nothing happened. But that million and one, you get an old shit moment. Mm-hmm. But then you like, oh man, you know what? Damn, I, I had my I handled business, but I forgot to turn my body camera on. You know, it's one it's one of them things. What what Officer Coy, I'm just painting this picture. I'm just painting this picture. I'm not saying that's what he that's the way he was feeling, something like that. If he approached Andre Hill, Andre Hill coming towards him. You know, Corey have his gun out already because we see it in the video. Now, I don't know because there's no audio. I don't know if he was giving verbal commands. I don't know what was Hill saying. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I cannot tie in why did he shoot? You know what I'm saying? I, I just, I can't right. tie it in right now. I can, we can only speculate. And I would just say this, man. Uh, when I looked at the way the, the Columbus Police Department responded, they fired Coy. Mm-hmm. I think what it was for them, I think it was the unreasonable in their mind use of force. And I don't think right. that his history helped him with some of those videos that he had online. And if our audience, if you guys haven't seen those videos, I definitely encourage you to kind of Google them and take a look at some of his viewpoints on excessive force, uh, because it was definitely kind of alarming. And when I, I've known Jules since I was 13 years old, I know his heart. I know what he does mm-hmm. out there in the streets. And 
I've never had a conversation with him where I've walked away from it, looking at him side-eyed about his, his viewpoints on, you know, him doing his job. But I'll tell you, when I watched those videos of Coy, I wasn't surprised that he was involved in a situation like this. Yeah, I don't, and it's messed up. And you know what, prayers, we talk about this plenty of times. I would like this not to, you know what, it's not going to be the last. Unfortunately, I said this plenty of times, and you heard me. I said this plenty of times. But I wish that you were wrong, man. I, I really do. I, me, brother, me too. Yeah. Because these things right here should not happen. We, quick story. When I start the academy, you have to, you know, you have this checklist on all the stuff you need to buy. It's five, it's about $5,000 worth of stuff you need. Equipment, uh, your guns, your fire, uh, uh, bullets and all that stuff. Books, uniform. Now, one of the uniform we have to buy, the hat. And that hat is called the crown cap. Now, you know, William Shakespeare, he did a play with King Henry, King Henry IV. And in that play, in, the, in, the, in that, that line, uh, one of the, the uh, play lines is how uneasy lie the head that wears this crown. Now, in that play, it was for the duty of that king, King Henry. But the crown I'm talking about is the crown of being an officer and how difficult it is to, to take such a serious responsibility being a police officer is not, it's not for everyone. You know, I said, it's not for you, everyone. But it's also not for some of the people to take the job, if I'm being honest. It's, but people get on the job that, that they're not supposed to be on. But Right. Because I'll tell you this, you just, this, let's just touch on this real quick before we move on. Think about some of the cats that we went to high school with, bro. And you think mm-hmm. about some of the things that happened to them. Now, these guys went on in the future to become cops. And I'm not going to say anybody by name. But you've also heard some of the stories that these people have been involved with on the streets, right? That's the kind of stuff when I hear that, because you're right. Heavy is the responsibility, right, with that situation. Mm-hmm. But you, but you mm-hmm. have to also take that and realize the not only the power, but you also got to realize the fact of there's pain and destruction that comes with that if your actions are a little maybe, what's the word I'm looking for? If your actions are too aggressive yeah. for a situation, Right. Because yeah, too aggressive or, or reckless or reckless, right. because right. this is something that uh, people would tell me all the time back with guns. They, these ain't no things to play with. Mm-hmm. You don't pull them out unless you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. And they end lives. And I know these are all things that you take very seriously. Right. Mm-hmm. But when we have officers like Coy and the fact that he was fired that way, you think about that, man. Why was he fired so quickly? A lot of times with these situations, they'll put the cop on paid leave and they'll kind of like go through an investigation. So what that makes me wonder, Jules, was there something there that they were like, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> this guy was on some bullshit. <laughs> well, see, well, see, some of the, you know, see some of the things that uh, officers don't pay leave and uh, suspended or whatever the case may be, because it, their investigation is, well, is a possibility he have to do what he have to do. But in this case, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for it. No. Dude, dude walked up to him, you shot him. But of course, you know, he's fired and then definitely, he definitely will get jail time. He definitely will get jail time. Yeah, because I've also heard the people on that scene were also kind of like uh, making some statements about his actions as well. So you're right, right. man. I don't, I don't think it's looking for good for him. No. And I, and I just want to say real quick, man, you know, my, my police brothers and sisters of the blue and stuff like that. Listen, you know what? A lot of people entrust in us to do the right things for help and protection and to safety and, and, and ideas and, and thoughts and stuff like that. And we must be sharp. I know we're, 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 we're human and we make mistakes, but these mistakes got to be minimal. And we, we need to 
definitely be all that we can be and stuff out there. We need to be laser focused, man, because we cannot afford major mistakes like that where it costs somebody their life or your life or your partner's life. So mm-hmm. we gotta we gotta gotta ring this thing in and 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 just take just take a time out. We can just uh, assess instead of running into things. Just walk so we can see the whole things clearly. That's that's it. Just takes a little time just to de-escalate and kind of assess assess the situation a little more more better. That's all. No, I, I mean, I, I couldn't even say that any better, man. I agree with you 100% because mistakes kill. I mean, you got to think about this with the surgeon. We entrust surgeons to basically perform operations and things of that nature. If the surgeon goes in there, maybe the night before, you know, he tied one on and, and, and you know, kind of, you know, went after it. He makes a mistake on that operating table. Somebody mm-hmm. dies. Somebody dies. You know, so my whole thing is I think that all professionals, if you have that type of responsibility, man, you got to take that shit seriously, bro. Because like you said, in, in, a, in a blink of an eye, your mistake can cause somebody to die. So, yeah, man. Jules, thanks for like kind of walking us through that exercise on kind of how you approach that. I know it's kind of difficult to walk through uh, a situation that somebody else was involved in that you weren't personally involved in. But I wanted mm-hmm. the audience to kind of get insight into your mind frame when you go through those type of situations. So it's just kind of good to just kind of hear that, that thought process from you and try to try to get that body cam on, you know, when you can, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Sometimes I get that thing right there, but I ain't gonna lie. I, I, I was opposed to that body camera because I was like, man, body camera, you know, it's almost like, you know, somebody always watch you micromanage stuff. Like I hate that. But you know what? I know those body cameras because the fact of the matter is people lie out there. People lie it backs out there you saying, up. Yeah, it backs you up. So, hey, man, I love them body cameras, man. I love them. Yeah, because what, what, what if somebody said that you walked in their crib, sucker punched somebody or did whatever the hell? You're like, right. no, nah, my footage Mm-mm. says this, right? Right, right. <laughs> no, sir, you ain't getting me. You ain't getting no jewels here. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I got too much responsibility before somebody goes, like, I'm getting fired or going to jail. Mm-mm. Yeah, man. <laughs> No, no. You got too many people to depend on you, man. You ain't got time for that shit, man. Nope. <laughs> it ain't worth it. No. It ain't worth it. But no, man, let's let's get into the nuts and bolts of the other episode here. So on this episode, audience, we're going to be talking about the death penalty. Jules and I, we're going to just tag team this. There's no rhyme or reason for kind of how we're going to go into it. But this is just something that we wanted to talk about just because we've seen uh, uptick this year, particularly uh, the federal executions have kind of, you know, become more and more common here in 2020 under uh, the last, you know, months of the Trump administration. And we wanted to kind of just give a nice little snapshot to the audience of kind of what we've seen of the death penalty in the history of this country and just kind of give our thoughts on it. So I'm just going to kind of go in real quick and trace back the origin of, of the death penalty. So a lot of people may or may not realize that this goes back to the colonial times back in the 1600s, right? And the first recorded death sentence and execution was carried out by a firing squad. It was out in the British colony in Jamestown, West Virginia. It was in 1608, Mm. right? And a lot of people, Jules, don't realize that capital punishment was brought to the U.S. by European settlers when they came to America. Back in the early days of China, the ancient laws of China, they used the death penalty a lot, and they used that for crimes. So 18th century BC, they had a code, Hammurabi of Babylon. They codified the mm-hmm. death penalty for 25 different crimes. And Jules, I'll let you just kind of like pick it up from there. And just wanted to just make sure that our audience got a little bit of an understanding of kind of where that death penalty came from and how it came to be. 
Well, like like you saw with that, what uh, Hammurabi was, you know, he was that Babylonian king, which his theory for these death penalties is an eye for an eye. Yep. You know, I know one thing, I wouldn't want to be caught in none of them, them crimes there, boy, because this definitely, you know, these these capital punishment, these death penalties, they were desi- they were designed to be slow and painful and, and torturous. Yeah, they didn't fuck around. No, no, they didn't mess around there. And and you have other several ancient documents supported the capital punishment, including the Juris Torah and the Christianity with the Old Testament and the writings of Athenian legislators and stuff like that, who, uh, you know, fairly of misdeeds and, and you know, of ancient Greeks and stuff like that, where they practice and, and, and practice these death penalties. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because the, the thing about it is they had 25 different crimes that they penalized people for, but murder wasn't one of them. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it wasn't. Uh, very crimes, you know, sexual assault and treason, and and probably stepping on grapes, grapes and stuff like that too. But uh, but right, murder wasn't one of them, which was weird because out of everything, you think that would be the main reason for a death penalty. But it goes to show you that probably murder was a common thing where you can just kill somebody for anything, and it's it's not really taken serious. Yeah, at least in those ancient times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also too. For our listeners, their choice of the way that they went about um, carrying out their capital punishment, they beheaded people. I mean, the thing about it is that's something that's never been used in the in the United States. But some of the methods that they've used in the U.S. have been putting people to death by firing squad, hanging them, electrocution, poison gas, and lethal injection. And so those are just kind of a few of the different uh, original methods that we saw in history when it came to uh, to the death penalty and capital punishment. Those are rough there. I know the death penalty also would, you know, also they also use sodomy and witchcraft, adultery and, and ideology, blasphemy and stuff. I mean, I think you can do anything wrong and get the death penalty. <laughs> well, during those times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you look at somebody the wrong way and they were coming for you, you know, and so that, type of process, the way that that stuff came over here, they were excessive with the way that they, you know, used that thing. And then when it came over here to our country, uh, then it became excessive over here in the early days of it, just because, you know, we've seen that that death penalty (laughs) has been used in a lot of different ways. And to me, honestly, I think in some situations, I've disagreed with it. In some situations, I said, you know, I guess I could see it. But I think at the end of the day, what I'll just say when it comes to a lot of the way that this stuff is used here in the country, the federal government and mm-hmm. the justice system. I think when we look at a lot of the things that have happened in this country over time, I feel like a lot of us have less and less and less trust in them to do right by us. Um, and so when I look at a situation where those are the individuals now that are basically saying, hey, this person right here, um, we think that they should die. And I kind of look at it like, well, why is that your responsibility? <laughs> like, you know, okay. um, to me, when I look at it, murder is bad all the way around, you know? But I'm also looking at history, and history hasn't always been kind to people because, Jules, when I did research on this topic that we were doing today, I saw a story, man, with this little shorty, uh, George Stinney Jr., 14-year-old kid from South Carolina, brother. This is not me being extra right now, but, bro, I fucking cried, man, when I read about this kid's story. And I'm going to try to, like, not get emotional on this podcast, but this is why I have the opinions that I have about this country 
and the way that they have used this death penalty. Because this is a 14-year-old kid that was accused of killing two white girls in the 40s. There was no proof of this kid doing this to them. The only thing that they said was they saw that these little girls stopped by and asked him a question. And I guess he pointed them up the road. And from the story that I read in this thing is even neighbors uh, said that those little girls left, they went about their way, and they went to another house nearby in town, and then that's when they disappeared. But in this situation, this story with George, not only was he accused of killing these little girls because they did come up murdered uh, you know, a day later, this okay. 14-year-old kid, it took them 10 minutes to convict him not only of these murders, but to convict him of death. Now, you have to think about that situation. This is a poor black kid in South Carolina. We know that he had no representation. His parents were afraid to even come to the trial. When I look at this situation, I say, my God, this kid, 14-year-old kid that didn't even commit this crime, right? That they convicted him in 10 minutes. And we know that these jurors and the judge were his peers. I'm sure nobody in that jury pool looked like him. No. I'm sure no one in that jury pool gave a fuck about this kid. His life was basically nothing to them, right? It took 70 years for this kid to be exonerated. I want our audience to think about this. This kid was put to death in the 40s. He was exonerated in 2014. Uh, There was a lawyer that poured over all of the evidence in this case, and they found out that this kid was not the person that was responsible for these two girls' deaths. Now, Mm -hmm. Jules, I'm sure you probably also realize in this situation that (laughs) we've seen in history where, think about um, Emmett Till. Think about some of these people that were lynched. And I look at this situation with George and I say, this is nothing short of another lynching that took place. This is a 14-year-old kid that did not have the benefit of living his life. And this is the part that got me, man, when I was doing the research. You know how they ask uh, people what their last words are before they execute them, right? Right. They strapped this kid to the chair. He was so small and so little that they couldn't even get the strap on his leg. That goes to show you that that damn chair was not designed to be executing someone of that size and that age. And I'm sorry, but that shit fucking hit me, you know, because Mm -hmm. that's cruel. It's fucking cruel. They asked the kid, do you have any last words? And he said, no, sir. And he had a tear streaming down his face. And they said, do you want to apologize for murdering those two kids? He said, no, sir. Now, you got to think about it in that moment. He knows that he's going to die. And he still has enough of himself to still address these people that don't give a fuck about him as sir. I just want people to just think about that for a second. Brother, I I was reading up on this and... This right here is rough because as you painted that picture there, it it definitely hit you because not only they falsely accused him of a crime that he didn't do, he couldn't he couldn't have done. 14 years old, one of the girls was 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 uh uh I want to say 11, and the other girl was seven. No evidence, no representation. You just took this boy, put that charge on him of two two first degree murders, and you condemned him to death by by electric chair. A 14 year old boy. Like you say, he couldn't even fit the chair. That chair is designed for adults. And you put the boy on there, and he couldn't even fit in the chair. He couldn't. Not surprising where we're in. We're in South Carolina. We're back in the 40s where there's segregation, Jim Crow, and still, you know, big-time racism. Because 10 years later, 
you had you had Emmett Till. All they did right here, this was so-called supposed to be a a, a legal a legal execution, but it, it was false. Like you said, it took seven years. 2014, he was he was exonerated for all this. And they found out that it was a it was a neighbor that that killed these little girls. That he of basically course, got them to get got them to get into a pickup truck with him, and that was it. Of course, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. It was a little black boy that was in the uh, that was in the scene uh, on the scene, and they took him. You know what he did because they ain't gonna they ain't gonna kill one of theirs. No, no. Let's At be all. honest. They wasn't gonna kill one of theirs. No. Oh, we'll take this little little boy right here and and, and put him to a chair. Damn, fourteen year old kid, man. You know what? Also, two jewels. Uh, one other part with this story that hit me, man, was there was a uh, a minister, a white minister, that she mm. went to the execution, and she said that she wanted to make sure that George saw that there was somebody in that room that loved him when he passed. Mm. I'm telling you, I'm sitting here and I'm reading this though, and it, I'm telling tears because I'm like, I'm thinking about that little shorty with a whole life ahead of him, just snuffed out for no reason. And his parents couldn't even be in his trial. Ten minutes, you convict him to life. And this stranger that had enough grace for him to say, you know what? I know that what they're doing to you is wrong. And you need to have somebody in this room that actually cares about you. Brother, Mm -hmm. that hit me. That, to me, is something that I hope a lot of people read up on this story with this kid. Because for you to not understand why... People in this world in 2020 rose up. You read stories like that. You read stories like Emmett Till. You won't be confused on why people were so angry. Because when I read that story, Jules, I was sad and I was angry. Mm-hmm. I never even knew about this story until we started doing research right. for this episode. Me either. Me either. Right. And you know another thing, Jules? There was another crime that was committed that very same year by a white kid, Ernest Feltwell. Just okay. to give you some comparison and fairness in the situation. So he pled guilty to murder of an eight-year-old girl that he was trying to rape. He killed her because she screamed. Now, no expense was spared in his defense. He was appointed three attorneys. Three attorneys. And he was only sentenced to 20 years in prison. Let me just give you guys this snapshot. He pled guilty to murdering an eight-year-old girl that he was trying to rape, got 20 years in prison. We have a 14-year-old kid that was wrongfully accused of doing something that later was exonerated from. He lost his life. This is the stuff that me and Jules talk about, and that's why these episodes on season two have had the premise that they've had, because we just want to make sure that people understand that these stories have happened and they continue to happen, and we want to continue to bring light to these stories. Here's the thing, what I just said. Even if they did catch him with the same crimes and penalties that somebody from, you know, black or Hispanic, whatever the case may be, they will look out still for theirs and say the hell with over here. Now, you say in the same year, same same crime now. I mean, different circumstances, but same crime. Murder is murder. They gave that boy 10 minutes and they, 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 they charged him with death. This other boy you talking about 20 years. What the hell is that? Eight-year-old? You tried to rape eight-year-old and you killed her? 20 right. years? Boy, you need to be burned at the stake. Yeah, but we know the difference. Well, we one know the difference, of course. One was a poor black kid. Uh-huh. The other one was a white mm-hmm. kid. And not only mm-hmm. did he get, he had not only one attorney, but three of them. He had three. You know, my mom, I know I always say this on the podcast. My mom got to say it, say it. 
<laughs> she said, boy, you better not. She said, boy, you make sure all your ducks in the road because I tell you one thing, they'll take care of their own before they take care of you. Uh. <laughs> she, said, she said, don't go out there and, and do nothing stupid because you ain't gonna get no fair hand. Yeah, mama was right as always. <laughs> she said, they'll take care of theirs before they take care of you. So you make sure you be on your P's and Q's. And that's why I'm coming up and going out in the world and stuff like that, when, you know. So, you know, them lessons you learn. Mm-hmm. But you said some um, prayers on here with that boy, even though he was still in the chair with George, in the chair, and that guy asked him, "Do you want to apologize?" And he had, he said, "No, sir." He was bigger man than any of them that was in that room. Yep, because he know he didn't do it, and he stood on his word. Yep, as a fourteen year old kid about to face death, he stood on his word and say, "I didn't do nothing wrong. I not, I don't have anything to apologize for." That's right. And he still gave them the respect that they did not deserve. And right. And he still gave them respect. You know what? His physical life down here was short, but he is reigning in heaven. I'm like you, Prince. When I read, I, when I saw this, did research, I said, boy, I tell you, <laughs> this right here, just shake your head and you people, and, and, and you wonder why people are upset like, like they are today. Another story that people probably don't realize that, that took place in, in Jules, because we, on this episode, man, we pulling back the curtain. Because there was another mm-hmm. story, Willie Francis. Now, not sure if you saw this, but this was a kid that actually survived an execution. Wow. The, the chair malfunctioned. So you got to think about how cruel that is, right? Because the situation happened that the two people that were responsible for his execution, they decided to get drunk the night before. And they set up the chair incorrectly. Now, I'm going to just okay. paint this picture for our audience. One of the people that was the executioner was basically someone that the state of Louisiana, which is where this execution was set to take place, he was basically paid by the state to handle these executions. His partner was somebody that was a prisoner. So they allowed this prisoner to assist in executions. So now, these two got drunk the night before and didn't set the chair up correctly, and this boy survived this execution. Now, at the age of 16, this kid was basically accused of murdering uh, a pharmacy owner who once employed him. He had two written confessions that he committed this crime, but he still pleaded not guilty. Now, in this situation, Jules, a lot of people over history have said that these confessions were beat and coerced into this kid. But the issue that I have with this situation is two things for the audience to think about. A, that they allowed a prisoner to assist in executions in Louisiana. The second thing is these individuals had this chair that was basically, uh, it was a portable electric chair. So they traveled around from different location sites with this chair, right? So human error basically kept this kid alive, Mm -hmm. but they asked him, hey, what did that feel like? And he said, it felt like thousands of nails going into your body. This kid was basically tried to death two days. In two days, he was convicted of murder. Sentenced to death by 12 jurors. He was underage at the time of this crime. He was 15 at the time of this crime. I brought up this story, Jules, for our audience, because I just want them to just listen to a story of another poor, young Black kid that was sentenced to death in this country, and he didn't have a chance in hell in the, in, the, in the judicial system, in the court system, or whatever the hell. They basically tried to save this kid. 
Because basically, people fought for a year to basically say, hey, you know what? This death sentence for this kid, it seems a little steep. Maybe we should, you know, look at, you know, maybe just not doing that. They took the case all the way up to the Supreme Court, but it failed. This kid, Willie Francis, was known as the first teenager to be executed twice. And that's wow. another story that I wanted to make sure our audience was uh, was aware of. True. Hey, you know, when he said it felt like a thousand needles, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that, uh, you know, those arcade games, the little vibrator thing, you put your little, little token in and you hold on and see if you can hold on to the shock, the vibration. Wait, what's that, that- now? I just heard you talk about well, you vibrations. Know. I was like, wait, what, what, what were we doing? No, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. You know when um, you go to like to like an arcade game or something, like arcade room or something, and they got this thing where you try to hold on because it's going to shock you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And you say it feel like a thousand nails. I mean, like a thousand nails going through your body and stuff like that. That's what, they, when you said that, kind of remind me of when you try to hold on. Well, i tell you one thing, though. It's a good thing those those idiots get drunk and stuff like that and um it didn't hook up but they hook up the electric correctly because but, but you know what it didn't even matter Jules because I thought that made it even worse because he survived something I mean could you could you imagine the pain that he was in and yeah you know in that situation and mm-hmm. the thing about this they ended up killing him anyway a year later yeah that, that that's messed up and you try to hopefully in and get this guy uh exonerated and stuff like that because of of what happened because this research, it, it's a few people that did have went through some death penalties or getting out of it, not dying, but end up getting, getting released or getting life, life without a, uh, without parole, mm-hmm. man, that's messed up. Yeah. You know, it's a shame. I just wish that it, that outcome would have went different, man. I wish they would have been able to man. save them too, yeah. because there's been in this country and this is as of uh, December, 2020 Jules, there's been 1,529 people that have been executed um, in this country. But you do realize that there's been a lot of people that have been exonerated. We've had 170 death row inmates that have been exonerated of crime since 1973. And so when I look at those situations, I wonder, hmm, how many innocent people have been executed in this country? We just told you about one person that was definitely found to be innocent of his crime. You know, we don't know the situation with Willie Francis because I don't think anybody ever attempted to um, reopen that case. But I guarantee that there's more stories like George Stinnett than than less. Oh, man. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can read anymore, man. Man, I don't know if I can read anymore, man, because that touches you, man. Yeah. But we also see that there was a, per- a period in this country, in the U.S., where the death penalty did go away. So we saw that there were no executions that took place from 1968 to 1976. Um, one court case that was very pivotal uh, that I wanted to bring up to the audience was the Furman versus Georgia case. In this case, the Supreme Court declared that capital punishment was unconstitutional as it was then applied, right? so. Mm-hmm. It was basically this individual, Greg, he appealed to the South, uh, to, to the Supreme Court that his death sentence was cruel and unusual, right? And this case was historically and legally significant because at that time, it really just made sure that uh, later on, four years later, that they basically overturned the decision that they, they made in the uh, Furman versus Georgia case, where basically kind of mm-hmm. overturned the death penalty. 
So now we see what happened here, Jules, was that states started to reform death penalty, but really it wasn't real reform. Really what they were doing is they were just rewriting things just to be able to execute people, but it wasn't real reform for the sake of reform purposes. It wasn't clear. Right. It wasn't clear. So like you're saying, they ain't really, they didn't really get rid of it. They suspended for a few, for four years until they can kind of rewrite the uh the order, whatever the case may be, for for the death penalty. You know, because death penalty from defendants who crimes was been with more, it had to be with one or more aggravating circumstances. It's 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 a lot of things that that it goes entails, you know, for a couple of charges for murder and treason and stuff like that. Separate processing proceedings after the trial where the jury kind of determines their appropriate penalties in this capital case, you know. In this way, the jury doesn't have to think about the death penalty until after they found the, the defendant guilty. And I think the two, the biggest thing is, especially with um, evidence in that Furman uh, versus uh, Georgia case, mm-hmm. they found that only, uh, just 15 to 20 percent of eligible defendants uh, were sentenced to the death penalty. And then they also said that they were not meaningfully different from the remaining 85 percent. So I think that's in that case, they felt like, you know what? We shouldn't be doing this because we can't determine one of these uh, cases from the next. And it just seemed like it depended on the state that these individual cases were taken place in. Because we know that the state of Florida, they've executed people with no impunity. You know, them in Louisiana, they have some of mm-hmm. the highest number of uh, executions. So, yeah, I mean, that's something that I looked at also. The situation with, with with these cases are very it's subjective between the people that they determine that this, this should have the death penalty and the ones that shouldn't get it. Most homicide cases, that was how they okay. classified them. And in those type of cases, that's when they tried to say those were situations that they were deemed eligible for the death penalty. And that's a state classification for you know why you think an individual probably should, deserves the death penalty. It's just tough, man, because in 76, we see that the Supreme Court went back on everything and new death penalty statutes came up in Florida, Georgia, and Texas. Mm-hmm. And that basically then made them constitutional in, in, in the eyes of the Supreme Court. Yeah, because that, like you're saying, that Supreme Court that held in 76 with that, with that Greg B. Georgia, that, that capital punishment was cruel and, 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 and unusual punishment. You know, the, it violates. They, they went back and said that it didn't violate the, the Eighth Amendment. Right. You know, so the execution, you know, resumed back on the 77. And that first person, uh, Gary Gilmore, he was sentenced and committed to death by firing squad in Utah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things, Jules. Uh, I would just say when we look at this this situation, there's a lot more that we can get into on this subject, and we'll definitely uh, do that on our next episode. We don't want to throw too much information at the audience. This was a lot for people to digest. But at least on this one, we wanted to just make sure that not only did we paint the picture of the early origins of the death penalty, but we wanted to talk about a couple of particular cases that we thought that people may not be aware of, maybe not even understand. But then we also want to talk about some of the important cases that led to the stop and then also for the the reemergence of the death penalty in this country. So we want to just make sure that, you know, we kind of painted that picture. And then, like I said, on our next episode, we're going to talk about the future of the death penalty. 
what the death penalty means in today's times. And then we're going to talk about the Trump administration and how they've utilized the death penalty. Jules, going to hit up with that curtain call, bruh. This curtain call goes out to Sister Helen Preaching. Sister Preaching is a Catholic nun and one of the most well-known anti-death penalty advocates. Sister Preaching has been calling for the end of the death penalty since the 1980s and is continuing her fight to stop the four remaining federal execution set to take place before President-elect Joe Biden is inaugurated this month. Sister Preaching has also touched on the racial and economic inequalities prevalent within the death row cases. We take our hats off to you, Sister Pellet Preaching. We ask for you to keep the fight. We thank you for your dedication and your commitment. Thank you. Thanks for that curtain call. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.